If one is truly a student of the game when it comes to studying and developing their own leadership skills, they'll likely have read John Maxwell's work. If not, they should. John Maxwell is known as the number one leadership author in the world. In this inspirational leader chat, he shares his wisdom, passion, and empathy with us. He is in our corner, and we are thrilled to be working with and learning from him. We can't wait for him to join us in person during our Leadership Circle Summit in October. Enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. And today, um, I'm, I'm giddy. I'm a bit nervous. I am going to be talking with, we are going to be talking with uh, the one and only John Maxwell. John Maxwell, who, as many of you know, is a number one New York Times bestselling author, coach, and speaker, was sold more than, get this, 24 million books um, in 50 languages, often called the country's number one leadership authority. Maxwell has been identified as the most popular leadership expert in the world. He has authored more than, it's true, 100 books on the topics of leadership, capacity, teamwork, relationships, attitudes, success, and personal growth and communication. He tailors each presentation to the needs of specific audience, and I've watched him do this over the years. It's, it's, it's truly inspirational. And he gives these practical focus steps for leaders on how to live out what they learn. So without further ado, I'm going to invite John Maxwell to the screen and tell this to about to our leaders. This, this leader chat we're about to have, John and I, is not about an initiative. It's not about an instructional strategy. It's not about maybe even a problem that you're having in your community. It's about leadership. It's about you. John, thank you so much for being here. Um, like I said, I'm, uh, I'm just excited and hopefully I can pull this off in a coherent way. <laughs> Great to be with you, Jeff, and, and your audience. And so thanks for having me. And I, I just look forward to our time together. We're just, you ask some questions and let's have some conversation. And most important, let's help people. That's, that's why we're having leader chat, right? That's exactly right. And we'll, so we'll dig in. And I, maybe the first question is this. Um, I, I think I know you because I've been following you for so long and I've read so much of your, of, of, of your texts, of your, I've listened to you speak. But maybe you can help in terms of talking to our listeners about, from the very beginning, what, what drives you, John? What's, like as Simon Sinek would say, your why? It, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that. I've heard you speak on it, and I just want them to hear it as well. Well, I've been asked that question a lot, Jeff, and it's such a good question because all of us as leaders want to keep motivated ourselves. We want to keep our people motivated. Let, let me just be fair on the beginning and just say that I think that uh, I have an internal drive that I probably genetically got from my father, who literally worked full time up through his 95th year. He lived to be almost 99. Uh, so there, there's some internal stuff that I think genetically I have. But I think that gets you in the game, but I don't think that always keeps you in the game. So I think the question, going back to my good friend Simon's why, uh, the reason I'm still in the game, I'm 76 now, is because I love adding value to people. In fact, my uh, kind of my mantra is I add value to leaders, and that's why I'm so glad to be on this leader chat. I add value to leaders who multiply value to others, and, and that's the key. If, if my audience, which it is, is leaders, every time I talk like in this kind of a chat, 
I multiply myself uh, by by dozens, hundreds, sometimes thousands. Because once you influence a leader, you influence all the people that the leader influences. And so what keeps me going is to see people uh, get better. Uh, you know, I wrote a book. It was the it was the breakthrough book in leadership clear back in the 1990s called Developing the Leader Within You. And Peter Drucker was a mentor of mine. And he told me, he said, John, this is the first leadership book that basically says that you can develop yourself and grow yourself as a leader. Up until that time, people basically thought leaders were, quote, born. In other words, you either had it or you didn't have it. If you have it, you go to the front of the line. You don't have it, you go to the back of the line. And developing leaders and watching them grow and watching them get better has just, it's just my passion. And, uh, you know, in the 21 Laws of Leadership, I talk about the law of the lid. And uh, the whole issue is that how well you lead determines how well you succeed. So I'm just committed to seeing people grow. I, I love growth. I'm known for leadership. But if somebody really asks me, my passion is personal growth and development. Um, that's the key. If you, you can't write 100 books if you aren't continually growing. Uh, you have nothing to say. You cannot give what you do not have. So what really drives me, what, what my big why is the fact that I'm still helping people. And if you're helping people, what else could I do? I mean, really, I mean, I live on two golf courses, but <laughs> really is the greatest. If, if the greatest thing on my agenda today is what is my tea time, you know, honestly, that isn't going to be very significant or satisfying over the long run. So I just, I'm driven and stay in the game because I love to help people and love to watch them improve their life. And once a leader improves his or her life, then everybody within their sphere of influence, their life improves. That's so I'm in the multiplying compounding work, not, not just addition. We're in a multiplication. Well, John, maybe as a follow-up to that, I, I know that when you speak to audiences, you spend intentional time thinking about them. I mean, you, it sounds like you almost go through this empathy process of understanding and focusing on them. I, totally. I recently read a couple of books preparing for this conversation, right? So, um, right, this is a, the, the newest version of the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and then the newest book, which is the 16 Undeniable Laws of Communication, thinking it would help me prepare. It really, really messed me up, because I want you to have empathy for me. <laughs> I took so many notes and um, so many highlights, I thought I can't do this because it's too much content. And my dad used to tell me, uh, my dad's a coach, he said, you know, great people are students of the game, whatever that game is, they're students of the game. And so watching you, I can tell you're a student also of the game and you're a coach of leadership. How do you keep all of your content and things, how do, how do you keep them focused? I mean, how do you track all of the things that you have talked to and preached on for years? How, how do you do that, John? Well, I have good people that help me. Really, I do. <laughs> um, you know, if I had my iPad here on the table, I would, you know, I, I could literally pull up uh, almost 600 lessons that I teach. And um, I write every day and I create new content every month. 
So I'm always developing more lessons. And, and so I, it's not like I have a, a sugar stick, one thing that just kind of I teach all the time. And the reason I keep developing more lessons is because people keep having new issues and new things that I need to address and help them with. I mean, right now with COVID and leadership it's a, it, and, and what we've gone through, leadership's different than it was in 2019. And, uh, you know, so how, how, how do I... How do I stay relevant? I stay relevant because I keep growing and then I keep addressing what the issues are in, in, in people's lives. And so like for today, uh, you know, again, I, I'm preparing just for you. And, and uh, as a communicator in, in my book on the 16 laws of communication, I talk about the fact that, that all great communicators, all great leaders have to I have to get over myself. It's, it's not about me. It's all about you, Jeff. It's about the people that are in the leader chat. It is, it's not about me. But if I haven't gotten over myself, I mean, in other words, if I'm here and I'm concerned about, I hope they like me. I hope, gosh, I hope I'm doing good. You know what I mean? If, if I'm, fo here's, here's what I know. If I'm focused on me, I can't be focused on you. So I've got, I've got to figure it out. Where should my focus be? And any communicator, any leader knows the focus has to be on the people. How many times have we seen bad leadership, bad communication, because the focus was on ourselves? And so in communicating, in leading, I always help people when they say, well, how do I become a good communicator? How do I become a good leader? I said, it's very simple. Step one, get over yourself. It's not about me. It's never been about me. Leaders add value to people. It, it, there's a difference between me as a leader or communicator wanting to add value to you and me as a leader communicator wanting you to add value to me. There's, there's, it's two different worlds and you can't have both of them. So I have chosen to live in your world and to say it's all about you and make sure that I help you and uh, lift you and listen to you and know exactly where you are so I can lead you well. See, great, great leaders are they're not leaders first, they're listeners first. Uh, you, you've got to find your people before you can lead your people. And how do you find your people? You have to lead them and you have to listen to them. You, you can't lead them without listening to them first. So in leadership communication, I'm glad you really kind of brought the thought up, Jeff. Um, honestly, you'll become a better leader and communicator the day that you live for others and quit living for yourself and your focus is on others and, and not yourself. I think that's the difference. One more quick thing. I think that's Please. the difference between success and significance. I think success is about what I've done. So when you when you talked about it, written 100 books or whatever, and by the way, that's not such a big deal. Think about it for a moment. You, if, you write, if you write 100 books, you just have to be old. I mean, if you're not old, you can't do that. I disagree, so. John, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lady the other day, Jeff, come up to me, and she said, you have written more books than I've read. So I thought, <laughs> well, that's shame on you for that. But, <laughs> but, but, but the whole point of it is, uh, uh, is that for leaders and communicators and for the educators, all the wonderful things that you're doing and the wonderful work that you're doing with, with education and leadership and helping people, uh, the focus just, if, if we focus on them, they're going to get better. Uh, but if we focus on ourselves, we're going to lose them. And I, I don't want to lose them. I, I think we have enough uh, selfish leaders that are in it for themselves. And I think I'm a little bit leadership sad right now because I feel that 
we don't have the, I don't feel, I feel we don't have the leaders that we deserve. In fact, I'm, I'm getting ready to, I'm always writing. I'm always writing. I'm getting ready to, I'm, I'm going to write a book on high road leadership and, uh, you know, bringing people together in a world that's divided. And, uh, you know, this is what we're supposed to be doing, but we won't do it. If it's, if it's about me, I won't serve the people well. It has to be about the people. Patrick Lencioni and I had a conversation the other day. We were talking, and he said, I don't even think we ought to call leadership leadership anymore. He said, I think we just ought to call it servant leadership because that's what really leaders do. They uh, serve the people. They, they lift the people. The people are a lot better when they have good leadership. That's why I believe everything rises and falls on leadership. So anyway. Do you find I, that I, I take I, a long time to answer your questions, don't no, I? No, this is great. In fact, I, I hadn't even planned on asking you this, but listening to you, do, do you find that leaders sometimes find themselves in a particular leadership position? They have risen within their organization, and perhaps they've even, you know, are suffering from what was once called the Peter Principle, right, where they're yeah. almost over their skis, but they soon become enamored with the fact that they're expected to own every room they walk into. And all of a sudden, leading shifts to focusing on themselves as opposed to serving others. And do you find that that is one challenge of leadership that even happens in education, in my opinion, which is very, you know, purely motivated um, field, but I still see leaders sometimes losing their way as it relates to what their original why was. Do you see that in leadership? I assume you do. All the time all the time, Jeff. Uh, I think most people in leadership positions start out well and start out with pure motives. Most people go into leadership positions because they want to help people. But what happens in helping people, they find out that they have these people that if we turn that around, can help me. And all of a sudden, I, I forget that I'm supposed to be helping people. and I start focusing on the fact that, you know, I wonder what they have done for me lately. And, uh, and at that moment, we began to be enamored with our position, our title. Uh, we began to be entitled. And we, we definitely, we, we lose the way. And it's very easy to do. It's, 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 um, in fact, it's a natural process unless we are intentional to keep our focus what our real purpose is. You, you, you just, you know, vision leaks, purpose leaks, and uh, we have to do this continual accountability and checking up with ourselves to make sure we're still in the game for the same reason. So when people come to me and they say they want to be a leader, my first question always is this, this question, why? Why do you want to be a leader? And if they say, well, you know, <laughs> I like to be in control or I, you know, I want to have a corner <laughs> office or I like a, I'd like to have a good parking place. We know they're in trouble already. You know, uh, leadership's hard. Leadership's hard. And, and in leadership, if you lift people, you carry a lot of, 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 of weight of trying to help them get to where they want to go. So we can lose our way very quickly unless we have some kind of a good uh, accountability uh, with others and, and an awareness in ourselves that why, why am I in this game? John, you mentioned being, you know, worried about um, leaders um, in this day and age. And I could get on a soapbox and jump up and down on that soapbox about my worries and anxieties around leadership in the field of education. I'm not calling leaders bad. I'm saying that they are at a level of duress that I think at times they forget that their job is to lead. 
So we see them suffering from what's been called the tyranny of the urgent. They're just trying to get through the day and through the week. They're driven by servitude and forget that they're supposed to also develop themselves. They just spin, you know, in, in the hamster wheel. The political polarization that you kind of hinted on is extreme and it all lands in their lap. And then they feel like they can't be vulnerable. They, they can't be vulnerable because they're based upon proficiency, not vulnerability. And so there's a fake it until you make it. I'm really worried about leaders in education because education is my field. Can you speak to just the what's possible with great leadership? Almost remind us that if our leaders focus on themselves as leaders, so much is possible and you can address that so much differently than I can. Well, first of all, if you were going to lead, what better place, Jeff, to lead than in education? Uh, honestly, uh, I think that if our country is going to do better and kind of make a, a, a change and start going up instead of seemingly going down, uh, I don't think it's going to happen in Washington, D.C. at all with politicians. I think they are way too much into themselves. I think parties are into themselves. You know, George Washington didn't even think that America should have political parties because he said, if you do, it won't be long before the parties put themselves before the people. That's exactly what's happened. And that's why we're in a leadership crisis today. But if I were going to be a leader, what better place, Jeff, than in education where you get children, where you get to have the first shot at making an impression upon a mind that has many years to live. And so for the educators, I, I would say to you, of course you feel that pressure. All leaders are feeling that pressure. And what COVID has done and the whole process of what we've gone through causes us many times to, to want to ring the alarm bell and, 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 and just say, whatever I see right now is what I'm going to tackle. And I just think we need to see the big picture. The big picture is just very simple. You chose this profession because you have an opportunity to change lives in a very positive way. So you have to every day ask yourself two things. Am I getting better? Because, and the only way you can get better is by growing. The only guarantee that tomorrow is going to be better than today is that I'm growing right now. So the personal growth that you're talking about, Jeff, is essential. And then the second thing, am I getting better for the kids? Yeah, because it's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. And if, if I can answer those two questions, I'm getting better, which means I, I can give them new and better uh, version of myself. And then it's for them, then, then I'm going to be okay. But it's, it's, it is a difficult leadership world. And education is a difficult leadership occupation. But if it's going to be difficult, you might as well go somewhere where it has a high potential as far as return. And I know of nothing that gives a higher potential than an education. My father was the president of a college. My mother was a librarian. I just think that uh, educators have the opportunity to truly change their world. You know, um, I think there's a law, and it, I'm, I'm nervous to say it. I think it was called the, the law of priorities. And Yes. It said something about activity is is not, not necessarily accomplished. That's right, um, <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. I mean, that was that's it was a chapter that spoke to me, and that 
the, the idea of leaders just having activity and running around um, trying to just serve others, once again, with this noble pursuit of trying to serve, it doesn't necessarily mean that's an accomplishment. It just means that they're maybe being benevolent. But how trying to keep leaders focused on the task at hand and, you know, as you describe serving children when they may get swallowed up in political endeavors. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And in that in that law you're talking out of the, my book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, I, I help people get their priorities by talking about what I call the three R's. This will fit education. It was In education, it was, it was reading, writing, arithmetic. Was it three R's or four, Jeff? <laughs> it was three. It was, reading, okay, you're well, right. You're right. Reading, writing, reading, arithmetic. Writing, okay, reading, writing, arithmetic. Okay. So those, those were the three R's in education. Well, there, there, there are three R's. The educators will pick up on this really quickly and, and priorities. And the three R's are uh, what's required of me. In other words, what do I have to do? The second one is what gives me the greatest return. And the third is what's rewarding to me. So I have to take those three R's. What do I have to do? That's the requirement. And, and there are certain things in your anybody's work that we just have to do. So I, I list the requirements now. Then I go and make another list. Well, what gives me the greatest return? What am I good? This is now talking about my gifts, abilities, my strengths. What am I really good at? And when I do it, it shows up and, and, and people benefit from it. So, so what gives me my greatest return? Thirdly, what gives me my greatest reward? I mean, what are, what are the things in education that are rewarding to me? And I suggest you make those three lists. And, and the list shouldn't be long. I mean, I, I would say three things, maybe up to five, but no more. Well, you know, what's required of me? What gives me my greatest return? What gives me a greatest reward? And you look at those three lists and you ask yourself, what is in common in all three? If you, let's say you just put three things down. Oh, let's go with five. Let's go with five. Let's say you put five things down in each category. Hopefully there are a couple things in requirement return and reward that are the same. If they are, this is your sweet spot. Yeah. The more that you can get the three lists similar, the more that you're going to be very effective, not only in priorities, but in the return of what priorities will give you. So I would encourage all of you, well, first of all, I encourage all of you to get the 21 your yeah. laws if you don't have it, uh, and go to the law of priorities but really study the three R's and practice them and, and, and get them on paper and, and, and begin to start saying, I've got to, I've got to have a, a match across those three areas. And when you do, that's when, that, that's where you really want to put your time effort because that is going to give you the, the best return. And, and it's also going to be very fulfilling. It's going to be very rewarding to you. Well, and I'll say not just the, the, the 21 refutable laws of leadership, but, but the newest version, because it's different than the version I had read years ago. So, because um, it, 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 it is different. So, um, educational leaders, as you described. Just, yeah. If you don't mind, I'm buttoning, Please. I should. But, but let me tell you why they're different, because I wrote the 21 laws of leadership 25 years ago, okay? And it was an instant bestseller. I went on a book tour, and by the end of the week, I was in, I had I, I spoke in twenty one cities in seven days, and um, it was already a bestseller and it stayed a bestseller. That book is the number one leadership book sold in the in the history of book writing. 
And uh, in fact, four of the top five leadership books that are the best sellers ever uh, are, are ones that I've written. But that that's number one. In in Russia alone, when you did that twenty four million deal, it's really thirty five million. Jeff, you just have a a real old bio, but but <laughs> uh, but 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 then but then it, and then the, the pirated copies in in Russia alone, or no China. I'm sorry, in China there are ten million copies of that. And and the reason that I you know so I just did the twenty fifth anniversary edition is what Jeff's talking about, and and probably. The laws didn't change, but 70% of the content changed. And why is that? Because I'm learning and I'm growing all the time. The greatest frustration of writing a book is as soon as I send the manuscript in, I learn something that if I would have known it when I wrote it, it would have improved the book. So I, I send manuscripts out and a month later, I'm asking the publisher to send them back to me so I can tweak some things. And, and I, what I want everybody to understand is when you're growing, you're always changing. You're always changing. 25 years ago, when I wrote The 21 Laws of Leadership, the book and I were on the same page. But what's happened to me in 25 years? I'm just growing. I'm developing. I mean, now, 25 years later, I'm here. But the book's clear down here. And, and so anything that I'm doing, I'm doing it better because I'm learning and improving and growing. And that's true for education. If we're not... The way I say it is if I look back five years and I'm still excited about five years ago, probably I'm not growing very much today. Well, and, uh, this is what attracts me to you and your your leadership content and speaking in books is that, like I said before, as a student of the game, um, I know how reflective you are. I I yes. constantly, because like I said, I'm I'm not a stalker, but I, I do follow uh, your messages. And what I find is so intriguing is, as an expert, you're also constantly studying and learning yourself. And I think that that's that's what I want educational leaders to learn here and be reminded of is that. They may be in the post, they may have a very important position, and it may be really challenging, but if they forget about developing themselves, they are actually selling other people short too. So I, well, you, th this is- You what's... cannot give what you do not have. You, you, I mean, and so what happens is, <coughs> if this is my leadership lid, everybody under me can only go this high. <coughs> the only way I can help people go higher is to lift my lid. The moment I lift my lid and I grow, now they have room to grow too. So as the leader grows, the students grow. That's just the way it works. And if I don't grow, honestly, uh, I hold them back. So that you mentioned earlier this this concept how things are things are changing, right? And they're changing so fast. And I, I left my leadership post as a superintendent before COVID. Right. And so I almost struggle to give advice. I'm not the Monday morning quarterback anymore because post is very different than it was prior to. And I'm curious, you know, as I read even your new book, The Undeniable Laws of Communication, Lobs Observation, Collaboration, Connecting Simplicity, Thermostat, Adding Value, these were like slapping me in the face. And I'm curious how things have changed. How do you find your strategies adding value to leaders knowing that today is so different than it was 10, 20 years ago? And then, you know, how do you, you know, like, like Tim Elmore, our, our mutual friend on a new kind of diversity 
as you're talking to different generations, how do you keep things relevant and moving forward as things change so quickly? You know, Jeff, it's like the game of baseball. The base, baseball is the same game, but you don't play the same game every day. So baseball has certain rules, right? You got, you know, bases 90 feet apart. I mean, there are certain similarities about baseball, but the moment you play the game, the game is different. It's Is it the game of baseball? Yes. But is the game of baseball played every day the same? No, no. You know, what was it? Babe Ruth who said yesterday's home run won't win today's game. So what we have to understand, because this is so huge, is that uh, we, we are going to continually be changing. And, and leadership, leader, I've, I've been in the leadership game for 50 plus years now. In fact, last year, the publishing uh, uh, industry came out and said that I've written more leadership material now than any other person who's ever lived in the history of the world. And again, that doesn't mean much, just means I'm old. But here's the point. Here's the point. Leadership is the same game. But how I led in 2019 and how I lead in 2023 are very different. And, and I mean, we could talk about this. We, I'm sure we don't have the time in leader chat today, but that's probably for another time. But let me just give you an example. Before COVID, people were much more certain and not near as fearful. And so you could lead out of vision. You could say, here's what I see. Here's where we need to go. People lined up and said, let's get going. So as a leader, you set the agenda before COVID. Today, totally turned. The people are setting the agenda right now. Their fears are setting the agenda. And so what leaders have to do now is not lead by vision. They have to lead by asking questions. And, and it, that's a whole different game. It's still leadership. I'm still responsible to take people further than they could go by on their own. That's what leaders do. But it's, 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 it's leadership, but it's a total different kind of leadership. You know, I, I did a teaching called the Leadership Dance, Jeff, where leadership before COVID was you were in front of the crowd. Today, you're inside, you're, you're walking with the crowd. It, it's, a different, it's a different deal. It's a different game. So we have to adjust for it. When we adjust to it, we become relevant. And when we become relevant, we become helpful. If we're not relevant, we're not helpful at all. And so yesterday's leadership isn't going to win the day today. That's why we, that's why we have to keep pivoting, changing, growing, learning. I wrote a book right before COVID that became very popular called Leader Shift. And it's all about being agile and adjusting. And I wrote it right before COVID. And so it became a big corporate deal a lot of companies began to get that book for their leaders because it was all about, hey, the word pivoting. I mean, we all heard that. Well, it was all about adjusting, pivoting, being flexible, that whole process. And so leadership today has to be much more adaptable than it was even three or four years ago. So they're just major changes. It's all leadership. So do you talk about leadership? Yes. Do you talk about the same leadership you did 10 years ago? No, not at all. It's still leadership. But I have to stay relevant and current with what works today that maybe didn't work yesterday. Indeed. Let me, I got to be very careful of, of your time. I, I could talk to you for hours as lots of these themes, we could just take down a road. Um, but let me ask you this. I, um, our community of leaders, you know, we, our motto that I, I, I stole from my pastor, which is circles are better than rows. Oh, if you funny. and I, if you and I were to pretend we're around a table and with us, 
or superintendents, maybe deputy superintendents down through principals, leaders in education, what advice would you want to leave them with? You know, kind of as a final point, a drop the mic moment, what would you want them to leave with? Like, how would you describe that? Well, Jeff, Andy's right. Circles are better than rows. And let me illustrate it this way. Um, in growing and in learning and in changing, there are four things that need to happen. Uh, one is knowledge, knowledge, information. But if a person just has knowledge and information, they only have about a 5% chance of, of having positive change. So is knowledge and information essential? Of course it is. It's probably the first thing given, but it, it, it may be essential, but it isn't complete. So then secondly is demonstration, example. Okay, let's talk about that for a moment. Uh, to grow, you not only need to know what to do, you need to see it. You need to have a, a model. You need to have somebody that can kind of show the way, know the way so that you can, so you can go the way. So when you put, when you put example, a demonstration alongside of, of, of information, you, you increase those odds of growth about 20%. But then the third area is practice. You, you've got to practice. If you don't practice what you know or what you have seen, it, it's, it has no use at all because there is no success without action. And so when you put practice into that game, now you, you jump it up to 45, 50% chance of growth. Now I said there were four and I've only not shared one and yet we're at 50%. You say, wow, we're still a long way from growth potential. This last one just takes you to the top. It, there's 90% chance of growth if, if the fourth dimension is involved and that is coaching and sharing. In other words, the ability to sit around that that table and that circle and back and forth coach and and share and and what do you think and interact. Well, all those four things, uh, you know, information can give be given to rows. Um, example, I don't know. Maybe they maybe you could do that in rows, but you sure can't do uh, three and four in rows. So you you, you got to have circles. Circles completes the process of growth in people's lives. I'm passionate about small groups. We, I have a nonprofit organization. We have millions of people, not thousands. We have millions of people internationally in these small groups of five, eight, ten people. And that's how we do transformation in countries is through you, you transform a country, you transform a, an education system one table at a time. And, and uh, that's how it works. So anyway, I, I, I completely agree with you and Andy. It, it, circles are better than rows. I love it. Thank you so much. And I, I don't know how to end this conversation gracefully other than to say um, you're giving me goose jumps, bumps, John, and I appreciate you. And I can't wait to be with you in October. Um, and so thank you so much for your time today in this leader chat. Um, it's, it's going to help and inspire many people. And I will continue to push it in your message as best I can. Thank you, my friend, Jeff. See you in October. See a lot of the people in leader chat in October. Come and be with us. We'll have a great day. I promise. In, indeed. Indeed. Be well. Oh my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm not going to try to summarize that conversation. I'm not going to talk to you about how powerful and inspirational that was because you just watched. You just listened. We are thankful that we had the opportunity to talk with John Maxwell and specifically dig into how powerful your opportunity as an educational leader is. Your work is noble. You make a difference. It is all about leadership. It starts and ends with you as leaders. I think you heard that very clearly. Thank you for everything you're doing to support students, teachers, communities. Everyone, be well.